Hi, this is Gribbs, FC Dallas faithful fan since 1998. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out all the latest arrivals, including new club gear from Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea FC, BSG, and more. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to yet another episode, I'm told, is number 176, 176 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, and here he is, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hello. Okay, hello. And uh, <laughs> your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. How D, Peter? That's How too many words. <laughs> D, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, uh, I was not anticipating this particular episode to be as joyous or as fun-filled as it is, but look here. Uh, I don't know what happened, but that went from being kind of a a dull thing into something pretty exciting in very short order as uh, Dallas travels all the way to a Minnesota in a very important game on the road and gets a win and not just a win a three nothing win three goals and a shutout oh my gosh good times shout out well for Peter for a second there I thought you were going to start with your uh, congratulations to Oscar Preha winning the US Open Cup I mean I thought, I thought that was your all, it's way more exciting than you anticipated, but I guess that's not where you were going. No, with I was not anticipating <laughs> Dallas going to Minnesota and winning three nothing. Yeah, that, well, it's a surprise, but um, that's exactly the mo of what this team does on the road, right? We talk about it: fifty-five, sixty minutes of killing the game, and then they put the accelerator down, and that's exactly what happened in this case. And that seems to be the way they go at teams. Um, the real positive in this situation is that. Minnesota and their you know low block counter has been a thing that's given Dallas problems in the year, uh, you know or two that we've seen lately. Different coach obviously now, but uh, it's it's good to see Dallas figure it out. Uh, particularly going on the road and being a team directly above you in the standings is a massive massive win to flip that spot in the standings. And uh, for me, I only saw the second half, so the whole game was great to me. <laughs> <laughs> The whole game or the last however many minutes? Uh, all I saw was great. Was was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't quite got to watch the first half. Uh, I'm not sure if I even will. Why would you point. at this point? You know the well, first half's kind of a Dullsville, so why would you want to ruin the good part with the not-so-good part? Well, originally because I was going to write about it, but then, you know, life got in the way. And then because I was going to talk on a podcast about it, but then life got in the way. And uh, now I'm just like, why would I subject myself to that punishment? You got the good part, right? Yeah, so good good for you. Yeah, I I turned on in three goals. Wow. It was good. Uh, Buzz, so what is it about... Uh, so I guess the question is, is this by design? Is kind of futzing around for 60 minutes only to explode over the course of the next, I don't, what is it, 18 minutes or whatever it takes place? Mm, is Three. 
Yeah, three. Sorry. Yeah, it was even less. Well, I don't know why I'm saying 18 minutes. Yeah. It was like three was, minutes. But two minutes, 43 seconds. Yeah. Right. It was like the uh, soccer version of Dan's sex life right there. Just, oh, wow. Uh, just all over the place. So I, what is, is this by design? Is wow. this what Nico's trying to make happen? Uh, yeah. This is a team that the last several years. Sorry, was Dan. A, <laughs> just got us canceled. Yeah. A bi- <laughs> Was abysmal on the road, uh, you know, and had some of the most horrific road records imaginable. So this year they've taken this mentality of, uh, you know, killing games as much as they can and keeping them as tight as they can and giving themselves a chance on the road. This is a MO we've seen all year when they go against what they consider to be a good team. If they're going against a really bad team, they'll play a little bit more. But against these good teams, which Minnesota is a top of the half of the league team for sure, uh, they will attempt to stifle as much of the game as possible and then shorten the amount of time they have to play really well in order to take the result home. This is definitely something they do on purpose. It's different than how they operate on the home field. Uh, and it's a thing that makes them capable of beating any individual team on any one individual game on the road. It's exciting. So if you, so where do we take a measure of where Nico has this team at this point? I mean, I, 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 we could talk more about the game specifically, and I'm sure there's probably elements or moments of the game that you want to discuss. But what I'm really fascinated by is going, you know, now we're four games away from the playoffs. They've, they have uh, significantly ensconced themselves in a, in a good position to get a home game for uh you know for the playoffs at least in this moment right and 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 so i i guess this has been you know we've all predicted this was going to be a team that was going to battle for a playoff spot but they're in a better position than that at least in this moment are we feeling more confident dan or buzz uh that this is where they're going to end up is somewhere in this third fourth place or you know i don't know go ahead dan uh, a little more confident than in the in the week. Uh, I think the RSL draw made it so that what you wanted to be a tie on the road became one really needed a win on the road and actually managed that um, in a tough place to go. Uh, yeah, look at the table. Suddenly those that those games in hand everyone has, uh, you know, two's become one, and suddenly everyone's. You know, except for Minnesota now, uh, more than three points behind. It's it, it. It kind of is the case of, you know, Dallas is in a great position for fourth if they just keep up doing what they're doing. But but okay, I okay, fair enough. But let's look at let's look at the record of of the games of late. They beat Philadelphia at home, which was a fantastic win, and then they immediately turn around and get trashed in their worst performance of the year. And then they follow it up with a pretty mediocre performance at home against Real Salt Lake. And then we get this, which is one of, I'm going to, I don't know, Buzz, is this their best performance on the road this year? Probably. Um, you know, so what is Nico's team? Is wh- Which of these four games do you think they most likely are? Well, you know, the, the Philadelphia result is fantastic. I think that's a really good indicator. The Nashville game is, uh, a lot of that is a, big letdown following the big uh, win. Um, the RSL is a better team than you think, so that's a tough game, even if it's at home. You know, D- Dallas is firmly entrenched among the second tier of teams in the Western Conference. Clearly LAFC and Austin. 
based on results, it's easy and measurable, are in a different group. They put themselves separate. So you can argue that Dallas down to Portland is separated by four points. All those teams in the playoffs and LA Galaxy probably consider themselves in that conversation too. The West is a really good conference. Those teams all together are fairly quality. Dallas has some problems still. There are some flaws in this team still. It's not a finished product by any means. It's probably ahead of schedule. I think a coach would admit if he was being honest. The defense is held together better than they probably expected, to be fair. So this is a team that can compete again with any team in the league. The way they play good defense, the way they can shut down a game, makes them able to win any given individual game. They put themselves in a really good spot, and their record, the, sorry, the remaining schedule puts them in a pretty decent spot to get a home game. And when you have one, when you're among the second tier of teams, when you have one home playoff game, that gives you a really good chance to advance. And then you're going to have to get a little luck. You're going to have to get a good road performance. You're going to have to get a little uh, road mojo going to try and get a result at one of the locations of one of these really good teams, more than likely. Maybe even two of them, depending on how the breakout happens. So, you know, Dallas is not yet one of the very top elite teams in the league. But I think they've they've done enough to earn themselves a home game. Uh, and, and that's going to be worth a lot in terms of trying to do a hunt, as I like to call it, which is get in and give yourself a chance. So looking back at the Minnesota game, I, I'm sure we were all a little freaked out when we started to hear that uh, Hedges had not made the trip due to, is it a knee injury? Knee. Yeah. All right. Maybe you'll have an update on that in a second. Uh, is the best part of the game to come out of the game the performance of Tafari on the road in a start going a full 90 minutes? Uh, I actually think it's the second best thing. The best thing is actually the play of Sebastian Legette, who was absolutely insanely good. Um, he Legette's game didn't didn't shine through because of Jesus uh, with the multiple. Well, I call it multiple goals with the Jesus's production performance, but the, the numbers for Legette were just off the charts quality, and you know cementing that spot in terms of Legette as perhaps the greatest midseason addition this club's ever made midseason. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Would, I mean, yeah, it's, I, it's that's crisp. actually an interesting conversation, yeah. but I think you're probably right. I mean, off the top of my head, that's what I got. I mean, I would have to sit down and look at it, but it's certainly in that conversation if it isn't, but also, yeah, Tafari, um, phenomenal performance. There are some things that he needs to work on, but I talked to coach about him specifically this week and coach said that he's really progressed in the areas that he, for, for, for this particular coach, are a weakness, which is the game reading, the passing composure. Not just can you hit a long pass, which he can, but can you make it at the right time under the right circumstances? Can you dribble just a little bit to get yourself a space? You know, he has all the physical tools. You know, a relatively inexperienced player, though, in the sense he didn't start for many years in college and he didn't start since he's come out. So a guy with a lot to learn still particularly for a coach who likes very heady soccer smart kind of players. But, um, you know, I'm sure if we broke down Tafari's game in this particular game against Minnesota, there'd be micro moments that we don't like or small things where a mistake were made, was made. But overall, in the sense of you're filling in for Matt Hedges, I didn't see a cohesive fall off at all. I saw the defense hold together in a pretty a good way. And that's really exciting going forward if – if Tafari has given himself a chance to be a center back starter on this team, you know, because of Hedges' age and Martinez's physical issues or whatever and lack of pace, 
Uh, it's an interesting question going into the winter, and I think he's really done himself well here. Uh, Matt Doyle was writing his weekly kind of recap of the weekend, and he spent a specific amount of time talking about Legette and Pomacall and Nico's decision to swap them uh, from, you know, from right to left and putting ending up with Legette on the left and Pomacall on the right and why he thought that's something that has been such a, a huge improvement in the club. And I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity for you, Buzz, to kind of explain that or tell if you agree or disagree or why that is or isn't working the way Do- the Doyle's uh, trying to uh, claim it is. I didn't read Doyle's uh, claim, so you might have to tell me what he claimed. What I can tell you is that the last time that they did that, it's for a very, very specific reason. The, the, the last time they flipped Paxton and the other midfield, I think it was Brandon at the time, was they they were playing a team that ran a sort of a mid-shape, a high defensive line, if you will, so that there was space behind them. And they and the keeper in the, on that particular team wasn't necessarily a super aggressive keeper, so they switched them because they wanted they wanted to have Paxton be able to sort of and, the, and Brandon on the other side, lob these balls in that would sort of go over the defense and then die so that out like right behind the defense so that the opposite wings could make runs onto those balls. So it was a very specific, articulated reason. Ordinarily, he likes it the other way around with Paxson on the left because he's left-footed. So I have not, I did not ask him specifically about the Minnesota game. Mm-hmm. So, But I would bet you, if you did ask him, that it would be for a very specific tactical reason. Now, we will see if... That reason going forward is a macro reason in the sense that whatever Doyle was talking about is correct, that it does work better that way. I will say that over the course of the year, the right side eight has been the linking eight and Pax on the left has been the aggressive eight. Now that Leggett is here, Leggett is the more aggressive eight. It's been on the right, but maybe there's a switch there because the team is used to that player being on the left and not the right. But... Just two weeks ago, Ariola, I think it was two weeks ago, Ariola talked about how great the right side was working with him and Legette and Imato Amasi. So uh, one game is not enough of a sample because this coach will tweak things like that game to game to game. So we'll see if this is a trend that sticks. If he continues to play Paxson on the right and Legette on the left, that'll be something we can really dig our teeth into as we go forward. Well, so uh, Doyle's article talks about flipping Pomacall to the right because it gives he essentially is making the case that in doing that, he puts both players in a position to see the field better with the ball at their preferred foot to use his uh, to use his terminology. Okay. Uh, and, and and he feels that he's making the suggestion that it, it opens the field up better for both of those guys. And he has some video clips specifically from the Minnesota game uh, that bears that out. I mean, Pomacall was fantastic in this game yeah. um, and continues to just make us all super proud. But that's the case that he's trying to yeah. make. Uh, and, and, he, and, and Doyle clearly doesn't watch the team as much as you do. Um, and so I thought, you know, I think you've given a good explanation that kind of, uh, uh, yeah, puzzle piece as well with Doyle's uh, contention. Yeah, I think it would be very clear that when you do do that switch, Paxton is then driving sort of angular into the zone 14 on his left foot. What would be his shooting foot, his passing foot, and the same would be true for Legette on the other side. It's you know coming in to that same angle on his right foot. But there's a reason why the coach has played Paxton on the wrong foot, if you will, all but one game prior to this. He's been on the left the whole time. It's always been true that Paxton's been left-footed. So there's a reason why Coach wants it that way, generally speaking. Now, is the difference that Leggett is also good enough at this particular skill that now he wants this to be the case? 
when before Brandon or Siki wasn't good enough at that particular skill to put them on the left side so they can drive in on their right. Maybe that Legette's just good enough that the, now the plan is different. And that's something we obviously, as I said, we'll dig into that as we go forward if it turns out to be more than a one-game thing. Okay. Oh, I mean, it was the, in the RSL game too. Was it? I didn't remember them having switched in the RSL game. Yeah, they started that way. And then when Paxton went off, Legette stayed on the left and Brandon played on the right. Okay, so yeah, I, guess. I mean, it's not an uncommon thing. You do it, you know, it's two big reasons. You you see teams doing it. One, like you say, drive in the box, have the player on their shooting foot, or the other one, they stay on that side, and it gives you the option to have a an in swinging cross. Well, you remember um, that a certain component of Paxson being on the left is because Ariola has been given not Ariola, excuse me, Velasco has this free sort of false wing role where he can go mm-hmm. inside and outside. And Paxton was the, the guy that was soccer smart enough to react to that shift and cover inside, outside, underneath on a fluid basis. Well, I would certainly say that Legette is also that soccer smart in that experience, that he can do the same thing. So where yeah. he may not have felt Brandon or uh, Siki could do it, and now he feels that Legette or Paxton can both do it. Okay, so now I can put Paxton on the other side full time because Legette is capable of that recognition and read and understanding. I mean, it's funny when you look at the average position chart, uh, from from the Minnesota game, Velasco's actually further inside than Legette. Yeah, he's been coming more and more underneath, Velasco has, more and more as a pure false wing into that center channel. And it's definitely helped as uh, Marco Farfan's kind of found his legs in getting forward a lot more, uh, particularly getting to the end line, not just kind of getting past the halfway line like we saw a little earlier in the season. Uh, he's kind of becoming that... that uh, attacking fullback that we we said oh there's no chance of him doing that almost buzz when you were on the mls uh what is it power rankings twitter mm-hmm. spaces thing it's about a month ago yeah oh it was longer than that wasn't it maybe maybe keep longer maybe longer yeah well maybe this will this will uh clue you in they asked you this question who's the best player on the team right now oh that and was you a had a, yeah. and yeah that's right because your answer was uh paul Ariel, yeah and you were right at the time. I was, yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you again. How I don't know. I think it's been more like three months since that happened. Yeah. But who's the best player on the team right now? Wow. Well, it's no longer Paul Ariola. Um, at the time, I mean, Paul Ariola. Within a couple of weeks of that one MLS Player of the Month, and you know, some of the guys on the national website, you know, wrote about him following that. Um, it, that's a good question right now. Probably right this minute, probably Jesus. Um, although Legette's in that conversation for sure. And so is Paxton. Paxton's, Paxton's playing out of his mind right now, the best of his career, in my opinion. Um, but Jesus has reached a um, he's reached that level of, of uh, presence in the game where he's on the verge of putting himself into the conversations of these special kind of players that we've lamented Dallas has never had. They've never gone after these guys like this. And it's funny enough that they're, they've sort of waited long enough that they've almost perhaps developed one of their own. You know, he's making these plays and these moments that are deciding games and, and swinging games. This is a deterministic kid. Very focused, very driven, very in the moment. He's not being distracted by things. So probably right now, peak form is Jesus. It doesn't matter where he's playing either. He can drop back to almost like the six and still have a huge impact on the game. Yeah. You know, I, I think you guys would agree with me that when, you, when you've when you watched this game long enough, you tend to pick up 
on the idea that players just have kind of a vibe to them and uh and and you can tell tiers of quality and i don't know uh, until with jesus at this moment despite some really good players this academy has churned out and weston is one of them although i can't uh, i can't attest to Weston's quality specifically just to Dallas, because I think a lot of that came once he went to Germany. Um, the base was there from Dallas, but the real stuff I think happened once he went to Germany. But with Jesus, I really feel like we have our very first homegrown that when you watch him play in Major League Soccer is very clearly on, you know, on the precipice, if not already past it of like, yeah, I'm already playing. I'm playing in a league that I'm already better than. You know, well, yeah, he's close. You know, when he was in the academy, uh, from in my opinion, Paxton was always the uh, talisman in that group. Um, he was the guy that took all the attention, commanded all the eyes. Jesus was a good player, but it was always Paxton that that everyone you know was drawn to. Um, and while Paxton is an extraordinary good player, it's now Jesus that's become transcendent. He's become a personality. You know, you you. You see him doing um, these things on social media, whether they be photo shoots that have unique styles or doing features about himself wanting to be this other thing. He's become a no longer a kid, man. You know, it's part of being this level of player is knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin. And and for, for Jesus, a lot of this has been the shadow of his father. And like, so for the first time now, I think when you watch him play, he's passed up his dad in terms of his impact and his and his ability the league is better now than when his dad was here so i think he's he's emerged if you will from this developmental phase of his game and his life and he's become this iconic player for this club in the last year you know so it, it, it's a guy that as, as you say peter it's right he's it's a guy who's become one where he can do what he wants when he wants to do it the game is the opening for him he can see it faster than anyone else has seen it and around him. It's the kind of, this is the kind of play that if he was at a lower level, he'd say, okay, time to move up. And so I'm sure someone soon will be saying to this kid, it's time to move up. And a lot of that may just be come with what, whether he accomplishes what his goals are here at this club. Well, and what happens in November and December in Cutter? because uh, yes. if he has any kind of performance uh, in the course of those yeah. four weeks, uh, all bets are off. You know, you, you mentioned something there real quick about yeah. his dad. And I and I think it's fair for me to say that a lot of people that listen to the, you know, that are subscribers to your Patreon or listen to this podcast, I'm not sure what percentage of them were followers of this club back when Jesus's dad was really the driving force of this club, you know, right around the turn of the, well, the previous decade. Good Lord. That's such a long time ago. I know. (laughs) Um, And, and I, you know, now that I really think about it, I, I know he's passed him statistically in many ways, but I, you know, I was, we've been here buzz for both of these things. Jesus has passed his dad now in terms of status within this club, and I had never thought of it in that way until just now. Yeah, his dad had less help. The the, the cup run team. Oh boy, did he ever! Yeah, the cup run team was an was the best defensive team this club, this organization's ever had. Was defensively just lights out, but offensively had next to nothing. And his dad took a heavy beating, was fouled a lot, uh, but carried the team a lot. Jesus, you know has that same 
magnetism now, but is a much more productive offensive player. Slightly different positionally player. David was slight was deep was more of a deeper pure more like a um that that old school ten that was sort of right under the striker. Whereas Jesus is, we think is the best spots an off striker like Jason Christ. So there's a slight difference there in terms of the goal production that's going to come. Certainly when Jesus is playing as a nine, but I I think that is even though David was Ferreira was a league MVP, I think a lot of that was because his team was really good and he was the best player on his team. Whereas Jesus now is producing both goals and assists and is having a volume impact on the way the team plays forward. And I really just think that, like, in terms of in terms of boosting his team, now we'll see how deep of a playoff run he can make, but in terms of, like, his team feeding off his energy and feeding off his movement and feeding off his play, I, I agree with you. I think he's almost become more of a, a talisman than his dad. Now, he's going to have to do it for – his dad did it for a couple more years, so you got to produce yeah. it more than just one season. But, um, yeah, just terrific. I love seeing it from a kid who started here at nine years old when his dad was playing and grew up in this academy. It's so exciting. Yes, and uh, makes you feel super old, too. That too D- yeah. Dan, were you here back at the – were you around during the David times? I don't remember. Yeah, it was here for his last two years. Yeah. Those are right times. Up until the, uh, he wrapped his hands around Jackson's throat and got them both kicked out of the team. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David was never really the same after that bad injury. He did not come through that that no, he well. Did not, no. Limped around a lot after that. I mean, he played for another decade, but um, <laughs> see, he just retired like two years ago. It's that's true. Yeah. yeah. But he took yeah. a beat. Jesus, that's another quality Jesus has. Jesus is better able to avoid the beating that his dad took. His dad was a little more of a bulldog and strong guy and would take hits. Jesus dodges and ducks him and slides and takes less of a beating, which will pr- allow him to play longer, probably. Yeah, I, I maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but my memory is David was a shorter, more squatty. Yes muscular build yes. versus Jesus's kind of, you know, a more slender uh, build. Uh, yeah. and, and they don't really look that much alike either, at least the way that I remember them. No. So uh, it's a... His brother looks way his older. Like yeah, his older w. brother does. His brother oh, looks I mean, like his, his dad? His younger brother. Yeah, it looks the, like They've got dad. the middle brother, haven't they? Yeah. Wait, Sebastian? Is that Sorry. the is that the kid that's playing on the in the academy? His name is Sebastian yeah. Ferreira? Is uh-huh. that what his name is? Santiago. Santiago. Santiago, sorry. Does is Santiago the one that looks like David? He does more so, yeah. Yeah, not not as much as Jesus's older brother. There's an older brother that's ah, looks okay. as a dead ringer. Uh, he actually showed up in training one time and the team put out a photo and I'm like, what is David Ferrer doing back training with FC Dallas? <laughs> and they were like, No, no, that's Jesus's older brother. I was like, What what are you talking about? I mean, he's a dead twin for David. It was crazy. It was about yeah. four years ago, maybe, when shortly after Jesus had signed. It was the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's a it is fun to watch. That is. I, I and I do think the question of who's the best player on the team currently is at least an interesting one. But it also is yeah. a good sign that we it is a debate, right? Like the fact that it isn't clear cut. That somebody uh, is, and you know, again, you know, S- Sebastian gets a lot of cl- uh, acclaim just because he's coming from another place, and there's a lot of interest from the fact that he switched teams middle of the year. Jesus, obviously, with his national team connections, but I'll be damned if I wouldn't put a vote in for Paxton, who continues just to live up to all of the the promise and hope that we had for that kid. It, it just. 
there's really some amazing soccer he's playing. The only unfortunate part is that it doesn't show up in the stat sheets that everybody looks at on a week-to-week basis. It's only for the stat nerds that really dive into the minutia stuff to see just how well that kid is playing. Well, we saw the other day when Paxson came out uh, how, how the wheels came off really quick. What a big deal he is. By the way, just in case you thought I was nuts when I said that LeJet's numbers were off the charts, he played 90 minutes against Minnesota, 100% passing over 90 minutes with two oh, wow. assists. That's in three key passes. That's insane for a guy that's playing like an offensive, like free eight kind of role. That's ridiculously, I mean, he was on fire. Um, but yes, pa- Paxson is. Um, it's not just what he does with the ball. It's his. It's the way he carries himself. It's his engine. It's his relentlessness. It's his never, ever, ever stop motor. You know, all the. It's his vocality. He's very vocal. He, he has all the qualities you want in a captain of a team. I, I think someday he'll be captain of this team. He's just got everything you could possibly need uh, in that role. And people just follow that kid into the into battle. You know, he's really young compared to some of these other guys and and even older players look up to him and listen to him. You know, he orders people around on the field and in practice because people recognize what he is and how important he is to this whole team. Um, And then the other thing I was interested in buzz and Dan, whoever wants to talk to this is the fact that the game in Minnesota, I was somewhat surprised, but also relieved to see that Cerillo held his position and he didn't put Facundo in to start. On a road game, right? Because this is yeah. the whole grind it out methodology. I, I talked myself into predicting that it would be Faku because of that. But I think if you looked at, uh, I, I'm glad to see myself. I was glad to see that with, uh, with, as you're saying, Peter, that with Edwin's work over the previous five games or so, which I think has been really quality, uh, that he held that spot. The kid has, um, every time we've pointed out like a deficiency in his game, he then works on that deficiency. And the one we've talked about lately is the where he's not he he had not been showing himself and putting in good positions to help his team build out. Faku does a better job of that, the, the ability to create space and relieve the pressure from his own uh, defense. Well, Eben's been working on that. He's improved on that. He's gotten better on that. I was watching training this week, and he is very very active without the ball, doing that very thing. Clearly, they've identified to him that was a deficiency and he's worked on it. The guy's in great frame of mind right now, just in how he's carrying himself in training. He looks really bright. So I was really, really happy that they stuck with him for his development's sake. I was really happy they stuck with him once Faku comes back because Edwin is a guy that needs faith. He needs to be built up. He needs to be told he's good. You know what I mean? He's not a guy that responds to getting ripped. He's, everyone's different. So uh, in, in the case of the development of that kid for the future, sticking with him right now I think is phenomenal, and he's responding, I think, with his play. All right, Dan, I'm going to turn to you and let you answer this question first. Or with another good, if not great, performance from one Alan Velasco, and we're starting to see these in uh, with a lot of consistency, are we going to figure out that what, we, what we're what we learning about Velasco is that he's just a different player than maybe we were originally sold or we thought we were getting? Or B, did he come to Major League Soccer and figure out quickly that he was going to have to change his game? Uh, I think he's figured out quickly how to change his game. We saw certain aspects of it on tape from Argentina you talk to players and and they're like he's figured you know he's figured this league out he's kind of he's he's adapting he's evolving um it's not 
you know, it's not, oh, we've figured out how to bring him into games or or anything like that. Um, you know, we, we knew, obviously, he was a player that could play out what could play out wide, not as, you know, not necessarily as a winger, um, but a, a essentially creative player. And he's just, you know, taking that next step of, of where he is as a player that can, can come from the, come from the outside onto the inside effect, uh, play really on, on both flanks from, from that central position and just run things around him. You have a, any different thoughts on that, or Buzz? You want to support Dan I, and his stance? No, I agree completely. Actually, I, I think that um, I think that what happened in terms of our expectations was the highlight reels. Right? We know you can't really scout people on highlight reels, and his highlight reels were all one-on-one individual stuff. So we were expecting that to be what he was like all the time. And I definitely agree with Dan that I think he got here and tried that and realized he was only getting one out of five or six duels successful, dribbles successful, and was turning the ball over all the time. And really quickly realized, okay, I can't do that. And so he then took time to figure out how am I going to play. And credit to Nico Estevez, who gave him the freedom to drift around, gave him the freedom to be a player experimenting and trying to find himself. And he's done that. He's adapted his game to a passing game, to a combination game. He still does want to do those dribbles from time to time, but usually they're more into spaces in order to create these passing opportunities and assists. And I don't think you can understand undersell his quality on the ball. He does occasionally still make bad decisions, but he's 19. That's fine. You can look at his touch and sometimes the exceptional nature of his passes and the free kicks that he does that can, and, or the shots that he does that can show the quality of his shooting. You know, the, the kid's got so much potential and I think he's just now really starting to figure this league out. What does it usually say? Six months. And so like halfway through the season, it started to come on. And I think if he stays here for a couple of years, we could really see an exceptional player. So uh, next up on the docket is a big game at home Saturday night against LAFC. LA had been in a bit of a rut. They had lost three in a row at San Jose. At They got pummeled against Austin down south of here. And then they turned around and also lost at Houston. But they did beat Real Salt Lake at home last and now come to Dallas and have a road game, by the way, following the game in Dallas at Minnesota. So they've got a bit of a, a tough role. Buzz, I know you went to training this week. Anything in particular you can help uh, hint towards what to look forward to on Saturday night? Yeah, I think from the game tape, um, if you watch them against Houston, uh, you can recognize that there are some, if you spread out their back line, you can go at the gaps a little bit. Uh, so there's some opportunity there. If Dallas had more of an attacking outside back that could hit that gap, or and if they had a winger who took their defense out wide and spread the field, then you would that gap would be available. Dallas doesn't do either of those things. They don't have their wings stay more narrow to take advantage of the false nine, and their outside backs don't slash that gap between the nine and the wing. So that that kind of opportunity is out the window. Um, what you can do, though, is that you can do to everybody, which is some of the pressing that Dallas does. I think you'd expect some of that. Dallas will, as always, like they do, look to get fouled in dangerous opportunities between Velasco's ability to shoot or Matt Hedges's or or maybe uh, Jose Martinez. There's a couple of guys that can head a little bit. That's the other way they go. But mainly they'll try and do what they always do, which this is what they worked on today. Uh, not today. When was that? It was Tuesday. That's the day I'm allowed to go. So they were working on press breaking 
And in particular, where the extra man is when they break. They've developed, and this is something I talked to Coach about. They've developed, the, uh, and I talked about it in my uh, three things, they've developed this ability to sort of mash the accelerator once they pick the ball up. It's what people talk about worldwide, transition game. When you get the ball back, you want to attack quickly forward. Now, Oscar Preas teams used to do this, but that was a little bit more direct. The, Nico's teams get forward in a hurry, but the ball is quick on the ground, and it's pass, 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 and then Jesus is on goal. And you saw that against Minnesota, and all three of those goals, that's exactly what they did. They have the ability to turn on a dime and mash this accelerator and catch you off guard. So that's where I think you can look for them against L.A. to try and take advantage of that. And look in particular for when, when L.A. Def- presses, when they defend you coming out of your end, uh, they – they sort of set up a little bit like Philly. Philly plays a false, not a false, excuse me, a narrow diamond, right? Where they have um, two strikers and a 10, and then they have two eights and a six. It's a narrow diamond. So even though LA actually runs a three-man front line, they drop their nine back behind their front two, and they press with their wings. So in a way, it'll look a lot like defensively like Philly. Well, they did well against Philly with this very thing, this this mash the pedal and go, this finding perhaps the open guy, the, the guy that's not being covered as the team rotates like they do because Philly likes to rotate towards you at midfield. The, the other guy is off on the other side. So look for that. Look for the rapid transition game. Look for these quick switches. Look for them to try and make opportunities when they break lines. And this is where Hastings checks back is a big part of this, whether it's the line they break from the, the backs to the mids or from the mids up to the front. When those moments happen and they get transitioned, that's where you can try and uh, take advantage of LA because you can get quicker on them than they can get on you. Now, the problem is, of course, that LA is extremely talented all over the field. They have lots of guys that can score on you from lots of different places. And they have guys that know how to take advantage of moments, key moments in games like Carlos Vela does and these big moments. That's one of the things that makes them so good. So make no mistake, it's, it's a very difficult opponent, but you have a better shot in your house than you do in their house for sure. They're roughly 500 on the road and they're one loss all year at home. So your chances at home is at your house, you're going to have a chance. So I think Dallas will do like they always do, which is try and muddle the game up a little bit and take their chances when they come with this acceleration that they've developed. Well, what's interesting is it's really the last game of the regular season uh, against a an opponent that's going to be, I think I'm correct in saying that's going to be, yeah, because the last yeah. three games is at San Jose, at Colorado, Kansas City. Those three teams aren't in, aren't likely, no, they're out. Three like of the bottom four, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you can get anything, and especially if you got a win at home against LAFC, man, you have really, really set yourself up for a fantastic end of the season because not only do you have an easier schedule, uh, you know, Nashville below you, they have L.A., then they have to travel to Austin. Houston's their easy game, and then they end the season at LAFC. Uh, and I, think Minis- I think as Dan was trying to imply, the win in Minnesota really put themselves in a good spot because it put them up to three. Yeah. It almost means this LAFC game doesn't really matter, other than it's a good chance at the end of the season to prove who you really are. <clears throat> are we really in this class? And if you are, fantastic. If you're not, you still have three games where you feel relatively good about yourself and a good chance to go through those games without losing. You know, you just have to do it. You can't just point out that those teams are bad on paper and then think it's going to be an easy. You got to do it. But this coach has not shown that sort of slackness in his club. And so you got to feel really good about the schedule is as good as, that can, as, as it can be to set you up for positivity 
heading into the playoffs. And this LA game in the end is not what's going to get you a home game or not. It's the last three they're going to get you this home game or not. And mm-hmm. Minnesota win on the road set that up. That was the key. Yeah, I was trying to think back on either one of you. I I seem to remember Dallas didn't play poorly in the game at LAFC. Um, they just had some bad moments and ended up losing that game three one. But I don't I don't remember or recall it as being a bad performance. Do either one of you have memories of that game clearly? I'll take that as a no. Uh, I, didn't, I don't think anyone was out of that. I'm, I'm trying to look it, it was up. It end of quick. June, yeah. and it was a 3-1 loss, and it was 1-1 after like 40 minutes, and then L.A. scored, um, uh, you know, I think twice in the second half, I think is how it worked out. Yeah, they scored in the fifth. Arango scored in the 57th and Apoku in the 86th. And I just don't remember Dallas playing I think I think we came away from that game feeling like Dallas played okay, but LA was the best team at the time, and losing there was no big prop. You know, wasn't a uh, anything to be ashamed about. The reason why I'm adding, the reason why I'm bringing this up, guys, is what I'm interested in seeing is the difference between Dallas then and now, and how much improvement we can see in what we've got today versus what we had back then when they had to travel to LA. I feel like that game is one of those games where the LA brought in two fast physical strikers and really ran at the two center backs, which is something we've identified as an issue with this club. I think that was one of the games that was an indicator to us that like, uh Oh, there's an actual problem here. Um, so I, that would be the worry is that they remember that and they do that again. Well, they, I don't, I would bet that they won't come out in that kind of safe. I mean, Iran goes a starter usually, but um, Escobar and Apoku were the ones they brought in. So I don't think those guys will start, but they'll still have that in their bag. And so I imagine that LFC will be quite content to be pretty even, you know, through most of the game. And they'll look try and get you, try and get you like they did last time, which is those those physical, faster, go right at your center backs kind of guys. And and that's a, that's actually an issue that I talked to coach about. Um, this this fact that these physical, fast guys have exposed them a couple of times, and we specifically talked about Nashville because uh, of uh, Mukhtar is what he's done. And um, and he said that really it's an offensive problem. And I thought, well, well, that's a weird way to say that. He said, no, listen, think about that Nashville game when we failed to build forward. We kept turning it over, like trying to get out of our end. Like if our offense is good, if we're playing the way we can play, those moments don't come. We have the ball and we do good things with it and we don't turn it over right in front of our six and have those guys shred our center backs apart. You know, we it, it's okay to turn the ball over if you're in their far other end of the field. If you're behind their strikers, you turn it over. No big deal. We have to eliminate those turnovers and those miscues as we're coming forward. That's a place LA will crush you no matter who they have in the game if you do that. If you don't build out of the back cleanly, if you turn those balls over coming out of the back, they're going to kill you. And that'll still be a problem in this game. And that's going to be a good test. We'll have to see how Dallas has gotten. That's part of what the progression of Edwin Cerrillo has been. That mm. positioning himself to allow pressure to be relieved, that's part of the progression we've talked about with Ima Tuomasi, right? That outside position where he can progress the ball from center back to midfield. Those progression steps is what has made Dallas better defensively over the back end of this season. And so if those things are on and it's going well, then they'll be okay. If those things are bad, LA is going to snipe them again. Okay. Now, I had forgotten this. This um, I'm a bit disappointed to see. This is a 7.30 kickoff, not an 8 o'clock kickoff. Is that correct? It's on the Dallas website at 
Uh, I mean, surely I their I'll... website's correct, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does MLS say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it runs all right. off the same system. I just, for whatever reason, I thought the rest of the home games uh, at some point had switched all to 8 o'clock kickoffs, but whatever. Yeah, um, not that one. Uh, okay, so uh, any uh, in terms of lineup or anything, any changes? Are you anticipating any changes? Maybe Hedges back at center back? Is that no. pretty much... No, Hedge is not back. Hedge is no. got uh, he's on the side still. Uh progression, he's he did like the the cones and flags and that stuff, but then he worked with a trainer on the side, which to me means no way he's playing this weekend. You remember they originally said ten days, that would be over the next game anyway. Have they been um, specific about what the knee injury is? Just that it wasn't a big deal. And you know, the fact that he's already running around out there and doing cutting stuff and kicking a ball means it's not a big deal. Okay. You know, so it's just the fact that on Tuesday he was still doing that. Now it is hedges. So if Wednesday he was cleared, based on what I saw, I'm gonna say no because the time frame matches up with what they said. Of I don't think he's back for this one. Um, Tafari is fine. He's perfectly good enough to handle this one game in the middle of the regular season. It's not a problem. Um, you don't want to get hedges hurt and then have him out for the whole thing. You know that's even worse, right? So um, otherwise, I think. I think with four games left, this coach will not change his starting 11 anymore. I think he'll, and there's no more Wednesday games. They front-loaded their schedule with the games on Wednesdays and the games in international breaks. You know, they have the Tigris thing, so their guys will get a little runabout. That's about it. It won't be really intense. You know, so you basically have four games. You're going to get your standard lineup. That means it'll be Saria the rest of the way, I'm sure. Um, all those other guys will be the same, I'm sure. You know, it, it's pretty locked in. It's pretty dialed in. It's pretty short bench. He knows the team he has. He's not going to mess with it now. Okay. Well, it does seem like a tasty matchup, and it'll be a good one to watch, and hopefully there'll be a nice big fat crowd there again. I don't know if it's one of those special theme nights or not, um, or they've got robots flying around in the sky or whatever they do to get people to show up, but hopefully it'll be a good crowd no matter what the cause. Um, let's see. So uh, da- the other thing, Buzz, is you have been writing a lot this week, kind of uh, revealing we're discussing all the different yeah. uh, academy rosters. Yeah, well, there's the, the new, brand new U16 team, which is kind of cool. It'll be interesting to see how that one breaks out in terms of the roster. Um, the, the basically, they're the only academy team that runs a U16 team now, and and they're one of the few teams that runs a U19 team, both of which go to show that they're interested in developing players beyond the professional game. They want to help everybody in their academy reach a higher level that I admire that. I think it's really good. I think there's some guys that are going to be U 17s this time that did not get enough playing time last year because there was no U 16 team available. I think that's, so that's, I think a nice progressional idea. The one interesting thing about the rosters that they gave me is that they, they all are hundred percent divided by year. Like they last year, because of the, of the lack of 2004s, there were, there were like 12 kids that were underage playing on the 19 team, like all the time. Well, this year it's back to normal, at least initially, like every kid is listed hundred percent on the class that they belong with. Now we know SAS doesn't quite function that way. There will be guys that'll be shifting all over the place on, based on the idea that they're always promoted to the level of their, that they can handle. Um, the interesting thing will be North Texas. I had a, I had a conversation with, well, with several people lately, but including Nico, about the gap between the first team in North Texas uh, and how they in particular, and you can see this through their choices, the, the guys that play with North Texas are the ones that basically are with North Texas full-time. 
There's, you know, the only one that kind of moves between is Bartlett. He kind of plays with trains with Dallas during the week, but then it goes and plays with North Texas. But the other guys are all down there just basically for this season. Antonio Carrera goes back and forth too. But when you look at guys like um, Khalil or or Thomas or um, you, you know guys in that or, or Eddie Munjoma. Hey, wait, is in, Thomas Roberts still alive? Yes. Okay. Just <laughs> he's, in the team, he's in the team picture they put out today. I thought for oh. sure they were going to kick him out of it, but he was in it. Holy cow. Yeah. So um, there's a, still, they, they recognize there's a little bit of a gap. Um, he wasn't specific, but some of the guys they've asked to go on loans have declined and have st- said they're going to stay here because they want to train with the first team. I think it's a really bad idea because playing matters more than anything else. Nicky Hernandez was one, obviously, that said yes and went to San Antonio. Good for him. But um, – you know, overall with the Academy, it's going to be fascinating to watch how many guys move up to the first team, how many guys shuffle up and down through these various teams. And the the one overwhelming, massive overwhelming trend is this idea of recruiting. Uh, some of the teams have as many as eight or nine new players in them. They've massively gone out and recruited hard. FC Dallas has this this uh, summer, which is the offseason for them. They, they, have a, they have a new head scout as of a couple of years ago whose name is Christian Espina. I went and looked it up because last time I didn't know who it was. So if you look through those rosters, if you're interested in the academy, you'll see these new additions, five, six, eight on any given team to really show, I think, that Dallas recognized that they had not done a good job with recruiting. I've been talking about this for a couple of years now, that they had slacked off in recruiting and that they weren't refreshing enough. They weren't bringing in enough talent. They weren't challenging kids up and down the academy. And there's been a recognition of that. So, it's going to be a super aggressive year. It appears from the people they've added. It'll be interesting to see what happens to my charts of players when I scout them and, and, and who I think will be in and out of the picture and, and how North Texas fits into all this, because this coach is adamant that guys aren't going to be signed. You know, he's talking to me about shrinking the roster and having less and less players on the first team and more and more players, other places playing, whether it be North Texas or other things. So it's going to be a fascinating evolution as it continues here with this club. All right. So uh, I guess that leads me to wonder, you know, for a long time, we've talked a lot about how the Academy is not designed with a priority of winning games, but rather growing players. And and in theory, you know, players, they can turn around and make a profit off of. But is, are these changes and their willingness to go out and recruit and some of this other stuff you're talking about, is that an indication that maybe that ad- that attitude is changing, that maybe they are now focused more on winning games? No. Um, I, you know, look, in the context of any given game, you're obviously trying to win. What we talk about when we say that they're not focused primarily on winning is that they, they, they use their same tactics up and down the system, and they use their same tactics to play nice soccer, advanced soccer, progressive soccer, regardless of the sort of the circumstances, they don't do things like shift dudes around and do some crazy setup so that your six foot seven center back is now playing striker. You know, they don't, they don't have everybody playing down to the lowest level they can. They play guys up. They play 15 year olds at the 19s. They play 19 year olds in North Texas, right? If you really only wanted to win games, you wouldn't move kids up ever at all. That continues to be the priority as they move kids up, you know, and try and get them progressive and playing at high level, high level, high level. You do see moments where there might be a big tournament where they might say, okay, this time these teams are really, really good. 
we can bring down these guys back down a little bit because the opposition is really, really good. So there's still some pressure there. And maybe now we're going to try and win those things. But you're not going to see that happen against Rio Grande Valley when those when your best players are all gone and you still went eight to one. Right? So there's it remains a thing that winning isn't the priority. What they have figured out is that they were getting just they're getting knocked out of tournaments in the group stage. They're not even advancing to the important pressure moments. They realized that just generally speaking, there had been a drop off in the overall quality of the academy. Even if you only care about the top two players, the top three players, you still need 17 good players if you're going to actually advance in tournaments and advance into the playoffs, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure your whole team is good, even if the one you only care about is Tanner Tessman and Brian Reynolds and Paxton Pomacall in terms of the first team. Those are the only ones you care about. That doesn't mean you don't care about all of them in terms of getting to college and all of them in terms of about making your entire organization be quality. See what I mean? I do. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good explanation. Uh, and, and sometimes, sometimes from a guy from outside the Academy might become Tanner Tessman. Remember yeah. he came here at 16 and Thomas came here. Thomas came here much, much younger. He's a bad example, but they have had guys. Oh, uh, Chris Richards came in at 18. Chris Kappas came in at 18. So recruiting late does sometimes get you a guy who is your guy you want to sign, who is the guy you can sell. But it's not always. Sometimes Jesus is here at 9. Sometimes Pepe's here at 13. You need to be recruiting and adding, whether it's general quality, like I need 10 guys to bring this club up to a, a better competitive level, or I need two guys because one of them is Caleb Swan, who's the best player in his age group in the entire city, and I'm bringing him in from Solar. So there's always various reasons. Nothing, everyone's different, and the reason why you recruit him is different. Maybe there's a positional need because I know that Nolan Norris is going to be with North Texas every game. So now all of a sudden I need a left back for the 19s. So maybe I go recruit a guy there. So there's a million different reasons why you recruit a guy. I think there's just been a recognition that they had not done a good recruiting job, probably in the COVID era, probably since Lucci was promoted out of the academy to the first team. So like, you know, the 19, 20, 21, that was coincided with this drop off in recruiting. And now they've remedied it, I think. All right. Uh, I'm going to kind of change the subject, and I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to ask this question. Oh. Can you tell me what in the F is going on with Blaine Ferry? No, I can't tell you. Um, no? Uh, well, uh, I'm hearing stories, um, but they're all secondhand. And unless somebody intimately involved in the story wants to talk, I can't do anything with what I'm hearing. Um, I think you can watch him play when he is in the game, and you can tell that it's not because of the way he's playing. So there's something else off-field to why he's not playing. So was until someone will talk to me that actually is involved in the situation, I can't say anything about what I'm hearing because I'm only hearing discontent and I'm hearing it second or third hand. That's not something usable. So okay. I think in the long run, we'll probably begin to find out in a way that's usable. There's clearly something happening off the field that is means he's not getting into the team because he's far and away the best midfielder on that team. The team is significantly better when he's playing. Yeah. He just so, kind of evaporated. Yeah. He, well, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I can't know. <laughs> I don't have anything I can say about it. Uh, Cause it's all hearsay. You know, it's all like, it's not you know, Thomas Roberts disease. Is it? No, it's different. It's something 
Thomas Roberts' disease is, in my opinion, related to Thomas's style that doesn't fit this coach. Right. And when he was in Austria, he was at a team that was in a relegation battle with a defensive coach who wants 30-year-old dudes like that. You know what I mean? Keeping him up, right. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like he's never had a good situation for Thomas. He's a really gifted player. Granted, he's not done enough to get himself into the team. He has defensive deficiencies, but he's gotten way, way better at all that stuff. You know, he's a pure 10 in a team that doesn't have a pure 10. You know, he's he's not a dogged you know, grinder, like run through a wall, like Paxton, you know, it's just, it's a bad fit. And this is something else. This is, well, no, no, no. I, yeah, I, and I don't mean to turn this into the Thomas Roberts thing. I just, I, I'm, I don't pay that close attention to North Texas, but I pay close enough attention to notice that Blaine Ferry seemingly disappeared from the ethernet or from the, uh, from the earth uh, uh, around that team until recently. And I happened to notice that you tweeted something about him reappearing yeah. in the lineup. And I thought, what's going on there? Maybe I, it seemed like a good time to ask you about it yeah there was about a two-week stretch where he didn't even make the 18 at all which is nuts and then since then he's been on the bench but not starting so i would imagine that if you if anyone follows sports enough you know what that sort of means you know as for who what when why i have no idea other than like i said hearsay which i can do nothing with so um hopefully they'll start playing him soon because without him they will not get far in the playoffs Okay. With him, they have a chance, and with you know their front line with Mulatto, Bernie, and Hope is great. Uh, the new the new six they picked up looks really good. Um, they did Costa looks looks pretty solid in midfield. They got an academy kid Aguilar who looks pretty looks serviceable in there. Um, Santi's been serviceable in there, but Blaine Ferry is significantly better than both those guys. It's a big drop off if he's not in there. If you want to advance anywhere in this in this tournament. You're gonna have you're gonna need Blaine to be playing well. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they're gonna be they're, that's why they're the fourth seed and not the number one seed. You know. So we'll uh, see. All right. And I'm just gonna ask this question because it dawned on me as we're having this conversation. One of the weird kind of weird turns that has taken this year is that after a ton of hype and a lot of anticipation and a lot of excitement, I'm not hearing much about the new coach Padmuka lately. And I'm just wondering, is it, what is the general vibe on how he's done his first year here in Dallas? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I think that team doesn't get a lot of publicity. I, I honestly think that because the first team is so good that any other noise is getting drowned out. Like there's no reason to publicize anything with North Texas because your first team is just, you know, crushing it everywhere. Okay. Um, North Texas looks pretty good. They play a pretty similar sort of system. There's been a couple of guys that have noticeably improved uh, down there. It, it all seems to be running fairly smoothly, other than like this, as I said, this hearsay chatter of some weirdness I'm getting, but I can't, I can't do anything with it. So, you know, for the most part, everything seems, you know, on the surface to be fine. You know, okay. no one's, you know, no one's, uh, Hinting you, around that something weird's going on, you know. It's just no. I asked the question because you know the club spent a lot of time promoting him in particular, and it seems that has stopped. And I just wondered if if he's didn't didn't jive with it, didn't like it, or if no. something else is going on or something. No, he he still has that over the top personality, very gregarious. You know, I, I've never really had a conversation with him, but I see him on the sideline. He is quite vocal. You know, I honestly think that it's just the, how good FC Dallas is. I mean, why would you bother? putting together a whole campaign <laughs> to promote your reserve team when your first team is third place and making about to make a, hopefully make a run and yeah. it's going, and you got the world cup coming up and 
So what you're saying is they prepared for the It's a Process season and yeah. then realized we don't need extra content. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I honestly think, like, you know, I, neither one of them has flat out said this, but I, I think both talking to Andre and Nico, it's like they they look pleasantly surprised with how good everything was. I mean, l- look at this season. I don't think a single roster move they've made has failed outright. I mean, there's been moves that haven't been like gangbusters. Man but, new? Huh? Man well, I mean... New? He didn't beat out Ema, but I don't know that he's a failure. They still use him. He's, he hasn't been relegated to the outhouse or anything like Shun did. You know what I mean? I mean, like, that's if Nanu's the closest we have to a failed signing, that's pretty good season, pretty good. right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's okay, like, fair enough. Uh, you know, I think they're ahead of schedule uh, of the process, and I think now that the, it's a process looks almost ridiculous to serve in <laughs> third place in one season. Uh, well. I mean, what a ride it's been. It's been a, such a fun season, and it's it's – uh, Let us not get ahead yeah. of ourselves, Buzz, yeah. because we could go one and out in the playoffs yeah. and we'll all be right back to feeling oh. pissed off and unhappy again. So. I mean, if you lose four straight, you'll probably miss the playoffs. I mean, they're not clinched. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, I mean, it's like, we're, what are we sitting on right now? This We're looking at Dallas at 46. Uh, LA Galaxy's on 39. So that's seven points. So if yeah. you drop four games and LA Galaxy goes on a roll, you know, or whatever. I mean, Portland's only 42. So it's like, Salt Lake at 42, four points back. I mean, nothing is in, is set in stone. Even Austin's not clinched. Only LAFC's clinched at 60 points. Austin at 51 is technically not clinched, which is crazy. But uh, that's, that just shows you how tight it is in that Western Conference at the top. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about North Texas that dawned on, I, you know, I think uh, you brought this up, was is, is there a chance they're not playing at Choctaw and Arlington because their deal runs out at the end of this season? I mean, there's a chance, but where else are you going to go, right? I mean, you, you come back to Frisco, I guess, but that that kills the whole trying to have a presence in the western half of the city bit. Okay, I mean, but can I ask a question about that? Yeah. Because they are over in the western half, and I have this, and maybe my perception is wrong about this, it doesn't feel like they're making any kind of concerted effort to overly promote North Texas in that part of the Metroplex. They actually just signed a deal with the Arlington Soccer Association for that purpose. Yeah, I will say well, that. Doesn't, I, that, doesn't that seem weird to do after you've been there for three years or well, two a, or whatever it is? That's a sign that they're staying. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah, they probably just did the if you build it, they will come approach just like yeah. everything else they've uh, ever done. Yeah. Listen, okay, I live a mile enough. from that stadium. There's Unless you know that they're there, which I do, obviously, because of what I do, there's right. no way to know that there's a soccer team that plays in that stadium. Okay, but that's kind of my point, yeah, right? No, like They completely. made this big noise to move out there, and we thought, oh, look, they're going to try to grow this brand in that part of the Metroplex, and they've done nothing to do that. So why not go back to Frisco? Well, I imagine that the first team going to shit had something to do with them kind of putting that on the back burner. You know, the thing is, is that um, if if the costs are relatively the same to play in Arlington as to open up Frisco, then there's there's no reason to really go back uh, to Frisco because then you don't get gain anything extra. It's just a cost. Whereas in Arlington, theoretically, you have some sort of... Now, if you fail to take advantage of it, that's different. But as a concept, though, there's no reason to go home unless there's a significant savings of going back and playing with frisco mm. you you want to at least have some vile sense that you're kind of on the fort worth side of town so that you can appeal to kids over there or you can go to a fort worth city council meeting and say no you shouldn't let a usl championship team come here we've got a team for you already 
You know what I mean? So I mean, like, there's there's some other things afoot here at the stadium level, franchise level discussion that probably are worth whatever little more it costs you to play at Arlington. Because what does it cost to open up Arlington? They have like five people at the gate. They got one concession stand open, one bathroom, and like six ushers. I mean, it wouldn't be much cheaper to go back to Frisco, I don't think. Well, I, I would love for them to create an atmosphere where uh, people get to openly gather around a field behind a fence like it's, you know, some of these Mexican League, uh, you know, amateur things that happen in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where there's just tons of people, three and four deep, watching a game around a field because the attendance is never going to be big enough to justify a stadium presence, yeah. you know? It, and I just think that would be a cool atmosphere and something really ideal for something at that level. Yeah, the venue's stupid. Uh, th- they need a venue that holds, you know, 2,500, 5,000, you know, probably something like SMU or TCU's college soccer stadium, maybe. You know, the question is going to be, you know, when do the hunts feel like it's worth building something like that? You know, there are other, there's only one or two MLS two teams that play in their home stadium. Almost all of them have yeah. smaller sort of venues to play in. The the hunt sort of thing with this gigantic thing in Arlington is really an outlier. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense at all in terms of the size of it. The only thing that has any sense is this idea that you want to be in the other half of the city. Uh, I, I agree, the whole thing's kind of a whatever. But uh, you know, with the with with the it's World a waste. Cup, with yeah, well, the the other part of it too is that I know this is going to sound silly, but the World Cup's going to be playing in Arlington. Right. And you having a, your team, one of your teams sort of in there and an office over there and sort of a, an involvement and handshaking with the people that run the, some of those facilities and working with the Cowboys and working with the city of Arlington. You know, there's a little bit of an economy of scale there if you're the owner of a soccer franchise. So I, I don't I don't anticipate them leaving, <laughs> even though it doesn't really like even North Texas kind of doesn't really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. FC Dallas probably kind of does. And that's probably what matters. OK. Um, all right. Anything else? Anything else? That was actually a lot more than I thought we were going to have, uh, to be honest. Mm. That was really good, actually. Good. Awesome. Dan, you got anything? Nah, nothing at all. Big big uh, cafeteria tray of stuff you want to talk about you know just no no not really here's what i want to know dan before we go can luton do it on a rainy after saturday afternoon in stoke done it enough times hopefully we'll do it again all right because that's happening saturday luton town at stoke I'm not looking forward to it. We uh, needlessly threw away three points against Wigan last week. I heard about that. I thought about you, buddy. Sorry about that. (sighs) All right. Well, don't, you know, chin up. It's okay. It's early in the season. You guys can put it back together. You You were near promotion last season. You can do it again this season. It's true. All right. Hello, this is Gribbs again. We're here to remind you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer90.com, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out all the latest arrivals, including new club gear from Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, PSG, and more. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code ThirdDegree. Some exclusions may apply. Dan, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. 
Buzz, as always, outstanding work, and thank you, sir. We love hearing you talk about this stuff. Oh, thanks. You're welcome, and thank you for hosting us. As always. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. B-L-A-F-C, please. Ooh. Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Podcast. 25, 25 long hard years, yeah. Buzz Carrick, yeah, the man, man. 25 years, you better be giving this man at least $5 a month, Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man, it's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much, hey, come on, it's third degree old bust, yes, give the man some motherfucking money, hey, third degree, third degree, never.